0: You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Hello everybody, this is the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host Al Melchior. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, before I get into uh, the meat of the show, it's a pretty meaty show. Got some signings, got some trades, been a busy week. Uh, some interesting stuff to talk about in terms of the shift. Um, but before I get into all of that, just a quick programming note to make sure I get this in here. Not going to do a show next week. I, for the very first time, I'm going to attend the Major League Baseball Winter Meetings. I am super excited. Um, it would be. The idea of maybe trying to do a show either from the meetings or maybe immediately after it's really appealing, um, but it's just not going to fit in. So um, I will just have to do a winter meetings recap the following week. Uh, So plan right now anyway, is to skip a show next week and then uh, pick right back up the following week. So uh, just to to, uh, give you a warning about that, Uh, but again, cannot wait for the winter meetings and there's definitely going to be Things going on there in terms of player movement, to be sure. Lots of free agents still to be signed. Lots of trades uh, uh, to go down, uh, almost to be certain. But it's been a busy uh, week uh, ahead of time. Uh, just the last few days, quite a few things going on. Uh, so the headline, I think, has to be, even though there's there's some other notable uh, things that have happened the last few days, I think the headline's got to be the Patrick Corbin signing uh, first of all, just because uh, of him being one of the top pitchers on the market. Uh, but also, and, and also a big deal, six years for uh, $140 million is what's being reported. But the fact that uh, it was sort of a mystery team, the Nationals, coming kind of out of nowhere when the Phillies and the Yankees were getting all of the speculation, uh, turns out to be the Nationals signing Corbin and uh, creating a formidable Big three, along with Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg. Uh, It's going to be fun, and then at least, as you know, I've got some Mets moves to talk about uh, coming up shortly. But, uh, yeah, going to be interesting. Uh, Philly's also making some moves. Uh, The Braves almost certainly will be making some moves. But the Nationals uh, making a very big one this week with um, signing Patrick Corbin for the next six years. And I, I think... Corbin may be the most interesting pitcher in baseball. Um, I've, I've been sort of fascinated with him for the the, the past, uh, I won't say the past year, but I'd say, you know, since early on in the 2018 season. And, you know, part of that is just a, a breakout season of, of massive proportions for Corbin. But it's also the way he did it. And one trend that was pretty much major league wide was that of pitchers locating less often in the zone and so that really provided a benefit to those pitchers that could get chases and nobody was wilder among qualified starting pitchers in 2018 no one was wilder than Patrick Corbin was which is why I think makes this um this breakout so fascinating nobody was wilder than Patrick Corbin and nobody was better than at getting chases, had the lowest zone percentage among qualified starters, the highest O swing percentage among qualified starters. And a lot of that goes to the uh, the slider, which is, uh, you know, big Corbin's bread and butter, but he made it an even better pitch this year, uh, got more horizontal movement on it, and then added a curve ball, which was sort of a slurve, but, um, you know, basically two different varieties of a slider, uh, that was just devastating for him, and so that's one storyline for him. Maybe that's really two sort of that are related to each other. One is change of arsenal, uh, and then related to that, uh, the improved ability to get chases that just had tremendous, uh, uh, a tremendous impact on his uh, his productivity. So that's one or maybe two storylines that we can talk about with Corbin in 2018, but another one too that got a lot of discussion uh, fairly early on in the season was the drop in velocity because came out throwing 92, 93 in April uh, averaging in that range and then really dropping down to like ninety ninety one for much of the rest of the season and pretty consistently. So in May, so, you know, Corbin started out great, And then there was this drop in velocity. So I know almost certainly I talked about it on the show, uh, certainly discussed it on Twitter. Don't recall if I I don't think I actually wrote about it, uh, but many others did. And so there was this, I won't say panic, but, you know, concern at the very least about Patrick Corbin during the month of May tracking start to start what was going on with his velocity, maybe even into June. I mean, this is a big point of discussion for uh, a chunk of the season. And yet he just kept on producing now, not quite the same level that he did as it did in April. The, the strikeout rate went down a bit. The walk rate did go up a bit, but he finished the year with a twenty nine point four percent strikeout rate. So absolutely nothing to really complain about there. If you set your expectations higher than that, uh, you know, that's that that's uh, something you, you should be able to, to overcome. <laughs> Should be able to get over that, you know, almost a 30 percent strikeout rate. Nothing to complain about there. And a six three percent walk rate on the season, which, again, for the wildest starting pitcher in baseball is pretty impressive. Uh, and then that helped him to achieve a three point three eight ERA, a one point one three whip, just a good overall season for Patrick Corbin, a season that didn't really get substantially worse after the the average fastball fastball velocity started to decrease. And then towards the end of the year, it actually rebounded a bit. But at that point, I wasn't caring anymore because he was still really good. Now, the one warning sign that there is uh, for for Corbin, which isn't really related to a change of scenery for him, is that he did give up quite a bit of hard contact. He was in the top third of starting pitchers. I think this was with 2,200 uh, minimum batted ball events, uh, unfortunately I didn't write it down <laughs> in my notes here, uh, but I did uh, did a sort earlier in the day as I was preparing for the show. And he came up, it was like 103rd out of 310 or so uh, pitchers that, that qualified by the sort uh, in terms of exit velocity allowed on fly balls and line drives. So that's, it's not horrible. I mean, just squeaking in at the top one-third is certainly better than being in like the top, you know, 10% or even 20%. But it's it's so slightly concerning in tandem with the fact that he had a 41.7 percent her contact rate which is just flat out high so uh you know at least you could say that uh, if that's going to be a concern it's way less of a concern now that he's not going to be in the al East uh, which was you know which is what would have happened if he had become a Yankee or if he had gone to Philadelphia where the visiting ballparks aren't so bad but he would have throw roughly half of his starts at Citizens Bank Park, so uh, maybe a, a bit of a bullet dodge there for for Corbin. But maybe partly because of the Chase Field humidor, that hard contact rate, that high, relatively high exit velocity on fly balls and line drives did not not only didn't hurt Corbin, but actually he had no problem with preventing extra base hits and or home runs, whichever uh, measure you want to look at. So maybe a little bit of regression there. My perception, uh, based on what I read, based on some early mock drafts that I've been in, is that there's a little bit of skepticism about Corbin being able to repeat what he's done. And, you know, any sort of projection system that's worth its weight um, is going to discount Corbin a bit because this season is so out of line with what he had done before. But he did demonstrate some new skills. I mean, other than with the hard contact rate, there's nowhere you can really point to and say, boy, he really he really lucked out here. He really should not have had that low ERA. He really should not have had that high strikeout rate. Um, so unless hitters can adjust to the slider, or unless for reasons that we just can't foresee, that the, the effectiveness of the slider uh, deteriorates some in 2019, I don't see any reason why you can't at least come pretty close to what he did in 2018. Um, so uh, anyway, Patrick Corbin to the Nationals. Big, big deal. Uh, lots of other big deals, though. Uh, Robinson Cano, that trade was uh, swirling around for a while. I think maybe long enough that uh, I think I even talked about it on last week's show. Uh, but it is final now, has been for, for a few days. Uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz are Mets. Going the other way to Seattle. Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak. Uh, pitching prospect, Justin Dunn, uh, relief prospect, uh, Gerson, uh, Gerson Bautista and terrific outfield prospect, uh, Jared Kelenic. Uh And I'm not 100 percent confident in the pronunciation. And I even watched some videos to see how others pronounced it. And I watched one particular video where uh, there was a panel of people talking about the trade and they pronounced his name uh, three different ways. So I'm going with Kelenic. Uh So uh, terrific outfield prospect there. Uh, Justin Dunn, I would think probably we see him at some point maybe later in 2019 uh, in the Mariners rotation. Bautista, that Mariners bullpen has just been emptied out. So I wouldn't completely rule out the idea that maybe Bautista gets in a high leverage role for the Mariners and, and pretty quickly. Um pitched a little bit for the Mets last year, but just uh, essentially a cup of coffee. But of course, the big names, the biggest names, the ones going uh, the other way, Cano and Diaz uh, going to the Mets. Not a great move probably for Cano value-wise just because he really was hurt power-wise. And I know I did talk about this on last week's show, how Cano in Seattle, still a reliably good hitter for batting average, but really lost something in terms of home run power that's not going to get any better going to City Field. Uh, but I think he can still probably be pretty much the hitter he was uh was for the Mariners. And you know, hit well when he when he came back from the PED suspension. So I you know, I wouldn't expect a, a big drop, obviously over over time, uh, you know, Cano at the, the point in his career where we could see signs of decline. We can expect to see those really at any point. And then Edward Diaz, fantastic breakout season. Uh, one of certainly the two, I mean, I think a lot of people would argue that Edwin Diaz was uh, the, the best closer in baseball last year, certainly one of the two best, uh, along with Blake Trinan. And uh, no reason to think, other than, again, the regression that maybe he would have experienced in Seattle or any place else, maybe a little bit of regression this year. But he should be one of the top relievers and definitely a candidate to be the first reliever drafted. And I would expect that he probably will be in uh in a lot of leagues, if not the majority of leagues, uh, going into this year, so I don't see his value really shifting much going from the the Mariners uh, to the Mets. And uh, Jerry Depoto, uh, of course, uh, doesn't take a break; remains busy. And shortly after that deal was finalized, I, if my memory serves, within a matter of just hours, uh, a deal was finalized with the Phillies, sending Gene Segura, Juan Nicasio, and James Pezos. To Philadelphia and going back to Seattle, Carlos Santana and J.P. Crawford. So um, I think a a good move for Segura, who uh, did not hit for very much power in his two years with Seattle after coming off of a 20 homer season with the Diamondbacks uh, pre-humidor. So going to Philadelphia should be uh, a good move for Segura. Did lose some power. This past season. And, you know, it probably does strike you as odd that this is the first thing I'm talking about with Gene Segura. But I I don't worry about batting average with him. I don't worry about the steals. I also get super excited about the steals. I don't think you could rightfully expect him to get a lot more than 20. I don't think he's going to be a 30 or 40 steal guy. But he should be good for 20 to 25. uh, Or certainly around 20. So to me, there's there's no. Real big change there, I think, going from the Mariners to the Phillies. But maybe he does get back in the neighborhood of uh, fifteen or twenty home runs going to Citizens Bank Park. And one of the things that I thought of in regard to Segura with this deal is that uh, a few of the Phillies and two that come to mind for sure, uh, Michael Franco and Odubel Herrera, didn't hit for a lot of hard contact last year. And yet we're decent sources of home run for fantasy. Home run, sources of home runs. We don't want a source of home run. We don't just want a single home run. Anyways, back to Segura. So I don't think he's got a terribly different profile than, say, Herrera. So, again, one more reason to think, not only because he's done it before, but that uh, maybe Gene Segura in uh, in Philadelphia can uh, go back to being a a 20-homer Hitter, uh in in 2019 uh i'm just going to take a look at it i think i may have said this already but yeah he did he did see some decline in hard contact last year so the the new venue is not going to do all the work for him <laughs> but uh that that to me is probably one of the more interesting twists of this trade uh certainly you've got a complicated Phillies bullpen situation getting more complicated with a couple of Relievers who are worthy of uh, high leverage work in Ocasio and Pezos. Santana, I mean, I, I don't even know what to speculate about players getting trade to the, the Mariners right now because I don't know um, how long they're going to stay there. I don't know if, if Santana gets gets flipped. Um, I don't think JP Crawford gets flipped. Uh, obviously, he would be uh, somebody that they're going to be uh, counting on for the future. And I did see a report. That said, that Crawford won't necessarily start the year uh, in the Mariners' uh, starting lineup, or maybe not even on the roster. Uh, that if he needs more development time in AAA, they'll let him have it until they feel like he's ready. So maybe JP Crawford plays the whole year in Seattle, maybe he doesn't. Um, and and certainly, I don't think he's anybody that owners, uh, particularly in redraft leagues, are going to get really excited about. He has yet to demonstrate that he can hit for power, even when he was in Reading. Where almost it seems like everybody hits for power. Uh, JP Crawford didn't hit a lot for a lot of power there, but has really good plate discipline. Uh, could could hit for average, uh, you know. So we'll see see how he develops uh, with the uh, with the Mariners. In uh, a move that was certainly not anticipated by many, if any, <laughs> uh, other than maybe a very very few. The Diamondbacks added a, a potential pitcher to their rotation, signing Merrill Kelly. And I will fully admit, I'd never heard of him before. Uh, but he had been in the Rays system between 2010 and 2014 and did spend uh, at least parts of two seasons in AAA. And, and some decent numbers there, too. So he's now 30. He's a right-hander. He's pitched the last four seasons in Korea. And the Diamondbacks signed to a two-year deal for $5.5 million, including team options for 2021 and 2022, and uh, would seem to be getting an opportunity to join the uh, Diamondbacks' rotation, now minus Patrick Corbin. Uh, Kelly ranked sixth in uh, the KBO in strikeouts. And it's an interesting leaderboard. You recognize probably a lot of the names... Uh, up at the top some former uh, major leaguers uh and the strikeout champion for among pitchers in korea this past season was kevius sampson just to give you an idea who uh who else was up there but Merrill Kelly he ranked sixth in uh, in strikeouts and uh probably going to uh you know figure somewhere in that uh, that Mariners rotation. The Astros uh they did not get JT Muto Uh instead they signed Robinson Torinos two-one-year deal, so they're pretty well set, it would seem, with Trinos uh, and Max Stassi, or Stacy. Not sure why I said that wrong initially, but Trinos uh, and Stacy would seem to be the catching tandem in Houston. I don't think they would pursue Real Muto at this point, but, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows? Uh, Jan Gomes going to the Nationals after they already got um, Kurt Suzuki. So that was another... Uh, notable trade uh, in return going to the Cleveland Indians, Daniel Johnson, uh, an outfield prospect with some speed. Uh, Jeffrey Rodriguez, a pitcher that we saw briefly in the Nationals rotation last year, also a player to be named later. So a couple of interesting prospects going to the Indians and Jan Gomes to, it would seem, split time with Kurt Suzuki. That's a pretty, pretty powerful tandem there behind the plate uh, now for uh, for the Washington Nationals. Uh, who can now go and catch uh, Patrick Corbin. So going back to uh, Real Muto and staying on the topic here of catchers, uh, JT Real Muto, no deal yet with the Marlins, but they are definitely working the phones there. Uh, The Braves have been reportedly discussing a deal that would send, uh, I would assume, among others, Austin Riley and Mike Soraka to Miami uh, that reported by Craig Mish, but the team that's really in the last 24 hours or so, been getting uh, a lot of the attention, a lot of the reporting is the Mets and uh, been a couple of reports that they're willing to do a deal where they get real Muto and send Brandon Nimmo to the Marlins as uh, probably the, the centerpiece, uh, but nothing happening there yet. And nothing that seems particularly imminent either. Uh, Some other pitcher news, Uh, Garrett Richards has signed a two-year deal, or I'm sorry, he's agreed to sign. I don't think that one's gone final yet. He's agreed to sign a two-year deal with the Padres, uh, two years, $15 million. Richards, of course, uh, expect to be out all of 2019 after having had Tommy John surgery earlier this year. Sonny Gray, no secret there that the Yankees have been uh, offering him up at trade talks. And they've been talking to the Padres, uh, so Padres may be adding Sonny Gray along with uh, Garrett Richards. Although again, Richards almost certainly not pitching this year, uh, but Sonny Gray, uh, a target uh, for the Padres, who are they really have their their eyes on 2020 right now. So those two additions, one that's all but happened, and one that's right now not happened yet with Sonny Gray, uh, those are moves that would uh, that could help them uh, in 2020, and Gray hopefully would help them this year. Hasn't happened yet, though. Uh, Alex Colomay going back to Jerry Depoto and his dealings. Uh, This going back uh, several days now, again, because I haven't uh, done a show here since last Wednesday. Alex Colomay going to the White Sox in exchange for uh, Omar Narvaez. And that is a move that clearly shores up a weakness on both teams because uh, the Mariners needed a replacement catcher with uh, Mike Zanino gone. Uh, to the Rays, and uh, so they get Narvaez, who's a very good, uh, surprisingly actually good this past season offensive catcher, Uh, could hit for average, could get on base, and then showed a little bit of surprising power this year as well, Uh, defense not reputedly, or uh, as the metrics would have it, not as good as, uh, not nearly as good as Mike Zanino's, and then going to the other way, uh, Alex Calame to the White Sox, uh, going into a very kind of open influx bullpen situation where he would stand, I think, a very good chance to close games next year. One more note here that's really a minor one, and I'm probably paying more attention to this than than the average fancy owner maybe. But uh just earlier today, Wednesday, the Rangers agreed to a minor league deal with Rafael Montero, who uh, also had Tommy John surgery, uh won't be ready for opening day, but uh could be up with the team and in the rotation at some point in 2019. And this is somebody I had my eye on in 2017. Now the overall numbers are pretty miserable for uh for Rafael Montero from 2017, his his uh last season that he wanted to pitch it with the Mets. But um there there was a period there where it looked like he was maybe starting to break out, where he was getting swings and misses and even the, the full season stats, which again, on the whole, were ugly, just a mediocre strikeout rate, a very high walk rate, which has been sort of a staple for Montero. He was one of the best starting pitchers in 2017 in terms of limiting hard contact. So if he's healthy, if he can get that swing and miss rate back up and just improve the walk rate somewhat, he's, to me, an interesting sleeper to keep an eye on for this year. Uh, and again, we're talking deep league sleeper, but I- I'm very curious to see how uh, 2019 is going to pan out for uh, Rafael Montero. And then going back to last week, but since the last show, the non-tender deadline came and went. And quite a few big names, quite a few fantasy relevant names, uh, players who were not tender contracts by their teams that are now free agents. Mike Fires, also uh, Kendall Graveman from the A's, no longer from the A's. Matt Shoemaker is now free agent. Uh, Blake Parker. And that one was surprising, but I think not maybe as fantasy relevant as it could have been because it seemed pretty clear to me that Ty Buttrey really established himself as the 2019 closer back in September, uh, just being really, really good and consistent after getting called up. So I think Blake Parker's time had passed, and, and so now clearly it has with the Angels. Uh, he is now free agent. Brad Boxberger, also uh, another closer who uh, who faded. Uh, Brad Boxberger is uh, is a free agent. Hunter Strickland's free agent. So those are probably the biggest names in terms of relievers and, and maybe even potential closers on the free agent market. Jonathan Scope, not tendered by the Brewers. Billy Hamilton, who now probably his days as an everyday outfielder, I would think, are probably going to be over. Um. Hard to imagine who would sign him to give him every day at bats, uh, but obviously still has value in the real world defensively and for fantasy purposes for steals. As long as he plays reasonably often, a couple of white socks, Avisael Garcia and Matt Davidson. They were non-tendered. Wilmer Flores, no longer a Met Jan harvest Solarte, uh, no longer a blue Jay. Justin Bohr is a free agent and uh, Tim Beckham. Somebody that I owned quite a uh, owned to quite a few leagues this past year, liked the power breakout in 2017. Uh, not a good follow up season for Beckham. And he is now uh, a free agent. So all interesting stuff. And, uh, you know, should just make next week with the uh, winter meetings all the more interesting. So want to uh, talk about a couple of things here. I mean, that's pretty much in terms of the player movement and the news. Uh, all I've got for right now. A couple things that are, um, that that have been in, in the news last couple of days, or at least in in the fancy baseball community's news, and one is this uh, piece that came out by uh, Jason Stark of the Athletic, uh, I believe, on Wednesday morning, and talking about uh, basically the, the the case for and against banning the shift in Major League Baseball. And the reason that Stark wrote about this, he sets this up really nicely. It's a great piece, by the way. Just go and read it. Uh, but uh, uh, he, he argues that uh, it's, it's you know something that we need to keep our eyes on and talk about because the Major League Baseball Competition Committee at, uh, I believe it was at the owners' meetings, either owners' meetings or GMs' meetings now. Um, anyhow, the MLB Competition Committee has basically voiced their support for Rob Manfred to go ahead and take some initiative in curtailing or legislating, or maybe even banning altogether uh, the shift. So I did a little bit of, uh, I mean, first of all, I was—I did a little bit of research into it, but Jason Stark for this piece did a whole bunch of research. So definitely again, go check it out. Um, some interesting numbers there. And one of the big takeaways is just that lefties have really had a difficult time hitting against the shift. But uh, overall, if you look at the overall numbers, BABIP has been very steady this decade. And this was something that was more and more teams over the last few years have started to employ a shift. And there was a big increase in 2018. I figured it would show up at BABIP, and it really hasn't. Uh, For each year of this decade, we've had all but one year, of this decade played out. We just got 2019. So first nine years of uh, the 2010s. BABIP has been somewhere in each season between 296 and 300. Very little change. And if we just focus on batting average on ground balls and just exclude uh, flies and liners from the equation, in 2016 and 2017, as we start to see notable increases in the use of the shift, 2016, uh, Major League hitters as a whole hit 239 on ground balls. That was the highest mark that is a season mark to date in the 2010s, in 2016. Then 2017, as the shift was employed even more, it went up to 241, setting a new high for the decade. Now, it did fall to 236 this past year, but that's still the fourth highest uh, ground batting average on ground balls for the decade of the 2010s so when you look at the overall numbers it's a little puzzling what's going on and and another thing too in 2018 the BABIP on ground i'm sorry on uh fly balls and online drives uh those were the lowest marks of the decade so a little hard to make sense of all that um but uh yeah that's something that i think is probably going to be discussed quite a bit in the in the weeks and maybe months uh to come is whether or not uh the shift is somehow going to be legislated and then finally just uh one more item here that uh, i want to talk about and it's pretty exciting on this show my and, and just you know in life in general my go-to batting statistic catch all batting statistic has been woba uh, it's tremendous because it, it puts a value on virtually every offensive event and weights it, and uh, and it gives you a, a really good indication of somebody's overall offensive production. But the one thing that's, that's not been ideal about WOBA is that if you use it to try to predict future performance, uh, it's basically taking past performance as a given, And it's not factoring in uh, luck or defense or anything like that. So uh, there's a new metric uh, that was rolled out by uh, Jothan Judge and the team over at Baseball Uh, Prospectus: Deserved runs created plus or DRC plus. And so uh, while I'm having to go check out Jason Stark's piece, if you haven't already done that uh, on The Athletic, uh, also, uh, take a trip over to Baseball Prospectus and check out DRC Plus because uh, there's a, a very good article there that explains not in mathematical detail, but more sort of in, you know, theoretically what DRC Plus is and what it does and how it's different from WOBA or Weighted Runs Created Plus uh, as a catch-all offensive stat. And so this does address that one shortcoming of WOBA and of Weighted Runs Created Plus of being more predictive. Um, So rather than than go into the explanation, uh, I would, again, just encourage you to go check out uh, Baseball Prospectus, And uh, just to to give you one example of how this may make a difference and how we understand offensive production for individual players. Um, Christian Yelich, in terms of Woba, was the best hitter in the NL this year, hence NL MVP. Uh, And he was really notably more productive, according to Woba, than, um, than uh, Nolan Arenado was, Yelich uh, a 422 woba, which is exceedingly high, uh, and Arenado's still extremely good at 391, but you know a big gap there, a 31 point gap. But according to DRC Plus, so if you look at you know maybe what did they deserve, you know that's why it's DRC deserved runs created, uh, in terms of who deserved to be more productive, Arenado actually slightly comes out ahead. Of Christian Christian yellows for 2018 146 to 145 so that gives you an idea of uh, you know how that may shift some perceptions of of hitting performances and I was just uh, for a piece that I actually just published earlier on Wednesday uh, on uh, rotographs on Alex Bregman and Jose Ramirez and how their uh, power productivity that they showed this year maybe that wasn't all deserved Um, So check that out. (laughs) But uh, in in part, do that research. I also noticed that maybe the same was true for Christian Yelich. And DRC Plus seems to confirm that. So pretty interesting stuff. So anyways, do do check all of that out. And uh, on that particular note, I'm going to wrap it up and uh, start to get ready for winter meetings. Yeah, I know. It's still several days away, but uh, it's a lot to do. Anyways have a great one everybody have fun following all this hot stove action and i will be back in two weeks so enjoy and uh see you in a couple weeks